Are you concerned about hitting your revenue targets this month, quarter, or year? Your answer is Value Prime Solutions, a sales training and marketing optimization company leveraging the value selling framework. Visit www.valueprimesolutions.com and start accelerating your results. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Hello and welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today, we're going to tackle effective SEO, dive into the dark depths of sales and marketing automation, and learn more about WorkZone and how they're applying the insights we cover. To help us unravel what many consider a challenging topic, I have with me Mustafa Elbermawe, who over the past eight years has helped brands such as American Express, Procter & Gamble, and Ford Motors refine their digital marketing strategies. He's also a regular tech contributor for Wired and BBC Arabia. He currently lives in New York and heads up marketing at WorkZone, which is a leading project management software startup. So Mustafa, first, I can't thank you enough for taking the time today and welcome to the show. Of course. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. So we always like to start kind of the, try and upload, uh, front load some of the value uh, for our listeners who can't listen all the way through. And I like to ask all of our guests kind of a standard question. As you look back over your career, which has been very accomplished and, and you've accomplished a lot and had a lot of success, was there a defining moment, if you look back, that you go back to over and over? Uh, and if so, what was that and what lessons did you take away from it? Uh, all right. Honestly, I, I don't have a very defining moment that is, uh, you know, that I tend to romanticize and, and think that it's, you know, it was really important in my career, <laughs> but I, I do have, uh, uh, like a time that I remember like back in 2012 when I was on American Express, it's a great job and, you know, corporate job was high pay and, and all these good stuff. And, uh, but I didn't really like the things uh, I did there. Uh, <laughs> you know, the day I was promoted, uh, you know, I, I decided to leave and uh, it was a really hard decision. And I went to a, a less known brand, uh, you know, more like an underdog software brand. Uh, funny enough, it was in the same building. So it was a <laughs> really, really awkward move, you know, using the same elevator and running into the same people. <laughs> Uh, you know, just like, you know, it, it's a building downtown Manhattan, you know, doing the same exact things, going to the same places and having the same lunch. So there wasn't much change there, but just changed floors, I guess. But again, you know, that was a really defining moment for me. And again, it's what I did there is just I wanted to do the things I like and the things that I'm good at. And uh, I decided to move to another company, regardless of the brand and the name and, and, and all these uh, career aspirations that were feeded when we, were, when, when we were young. And that was, you know, one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life, because since then, I'm actually, you know, my career trajectory and, and what the things I do are, you know, I'm just really happy before anything, and I'm doing better in my career. And uh, so I guess that is a defining moment. Yeah, there's a level of maturity and, and self-awareness in, in that story, right? Because I know a lot of people who are working at a lot of jobs are like, oh, man, the benefits are just, they're too good to pass up, but I'm miserable, all right? And so that that shows a, a strength of character that I appreciate you sharing with our listeners. So thank you for that. So now let's do what, what most people probably do at the start of the podcast. Let's let's learn a little bit more about WorkZone and, and your role there. WorkZone is uh, one of the, uh, you know, the one of the first uh, web-based project management software in the market. We started about 15 years ago. Uh, back in the day, there was only Basecamp and a few other players. 
so yeah, we're a SaaS company. Uh, we, you know, um, and, uh, uh, what I do there is that I, I, I manage everything marketing, uh, you know, from brand PR inbound and outbound marketing to you no know, overall sales and marketing automation and support. So along with, uh, with the sales organizations, we're, we're tasked uh, with growing the company by, uh, 35% uh, this year. Excellent. That's a healthy goal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Knock on wood. Hopefully. Hopefully. Take it. All right. So let, let's talk content marketing and SEO. You mentioned that you, before the show that you had had a uh, 110% increase in traffic in the last six months on the website, which is impressive. So what's your perspective on SEO and content marketing and how did you guys achieve those results? So uh, SEO is, is, I've been doing SEO for, for quite some time now, I think eight years, and I had an agency doing SEO back in the day. I made a lot of mistakes in SEO and now I came to realize my formula of, of what I would call sustainable SEO. <laughs> uh, uh, not just because, you know, it's genius or anything, just because I've made enough mistakes to know that, you know, these are the things that you shouldn't be doing and this is what you need to be focused on. So like, I, I think the most important thing with SEO really is understanding the dynamics of how SEO and really google.com as a product work. And then I feel like a lot of people that do SEO and, and that try tend to understand, like misunderstand that and try to game Google you know, with tags and a lot of technical hacks. So, uh, you know, like Google at .com as a product, its success is really measured by its ability to deliver uh, what users want. You know, if I go into Google.com and put in the search box uh, X, I want Google to give me X. And, and if it doesn't, I'm going to go to Bing or any other software here. So, you know, sustainable SEO or how really Google, uh, you know, ranks these search results to give uh, their users the best uh, answer I think they rely on on four values or four things. There are a lot of like video content and SEO content out there to tell you how to do SEO, but I feel like they tend to confuse people. And these are really the four values that I use with my team. And, and I break things down in terms of, you know, tasks under, uh, you know, the four values are like, uh, it starts with relevancy, usefulness, authority, and user experience. Uh, again, I'm not trying to enlighten the room. These are a lot of people know these already, but I think it's important to emphasize them uh, so back to relevancy, uh, you know, you have to always have, uh, you know, do the proper keyword research, uh, you know, go after high volume, high business relevancy, something that is important to your business and with low to medium competition based on how long you've been around and how big of a brand you are. Uh, and then write a piece that exactly answers the search query of the primary keyword that you identified. And this is the the, the relevancy part. And then you have the usefulness part is where you need to do like a quality, useful, thorough piece of content that answers the user's uh, intent or search query. Again, relevancy and usefulness are becoming so important now that, you know, uh, Google algorithm is becoming smarter and smarter. Relevancy and usefulness, I feel like are becoming the, I would say the two most important values in SEO. Uh, after that comes authority, uh, you know, link building is still super important, but with link building as well as social signals, you know, we spend a lot of time promoting our content about, you know, a lot of people say 80, spend 20% uh, in developing your content and 80% uh, promoting your content. <laughs> I, I try to do this and, you know, frankly, it's, it's been really hard. Uh, there isn't em enough to, to do in terms of 80% uh, of promotion. And then uh, I think right now we're at like 50, 50, but we're trying to push for more promotion and less content development. We also invest in guest blogging and, and PR and many other activities that um, kind of result in links and social shares. And the last value is is user experience. And again, it's a very important value because, you know, you need to make sure that your site, your site yeah, has a fast load time. It's indexable. 
font is readable. It's easy to navigate. Mobile experience is, you know, up to par. You know, these are basic technical things that you need to make sure they are in place. And you need to make sure that you have readable design, you know, lay out your content in, a, in an easy way for people to skim through and find what they exactly want. And again, it goes back to usefulness. Make sure that your piece is useful and thorough and well-designed. So again, relevancy, usefulness, authority, user experience, this is how I do it. That's an excellent synopsis. I'll be the first to admit, uh, even though I started my career in marketing, SEO has always and continues to me to be a little bit like black magic. I'm not 100% sure exactly what the hell I'm doing when we're working on our website. And I am... Um, enough of a control freak that I don't necessarily want to pay an agency to do it. So I'm in the midst of, of working through that as well. Have you found that there's a particular type of content that works better? You know, some people talk about video versus, you know, text or, or audio. I'm just curious if you've seen any, uh, any results or differences in the types of, of content that you put out. I find text to be extremely, still extremely effective. Uh, but when, you know, we use the, the right visual aid at the right time. So sometimes text with infographics does really well. Text with video uh, also uh, the, does really well. Video, uh, I find like YouTube SEO actually is really like, uh, I think YouTube is, is still one of the biggest search engines out there. Uh, I, I know it's part of Google, but YouTube on its own, there are a ton, a ton of searches. I, I don't even remember the number, but you know, we have some videos out there on YouTube and, and we do very well with these videos and we plan actually to invest more into video content and specifically on YouTube videos and the YouTube platform and not just we want the video to appear on Google. Oh, excellent. Excellent. So when you to take all that content, you know, you have to put together a content marketing uh, approach, right? So how do you get it out there? I'm a, I'm a fan of Jason Miller. Uh, he's the director of uh, content and social media marketing at LinkedIn. He's got a book out called Welcome to the Funnel. And I'm probably a fan of that partially because he references a lot of 80s rock bands, which is right in my time zone, <laughs> probably giving away my age. But he discusses concepts such as turkey legging, right, or breaking larger pieces of content down and, you know, putting little blurbs on social to drive people back to the website to get the larger piece, things like that. I was wondering if you had a, a, a similar content marketing approach or if you've come up with something different that you find that works better. I'd love to, love to learn more about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. This technique is, is actually super helpful. And it goes back to the user experience and usefulness that we talked about is we need to make sure that we lay our content in the best way possible. And it's also useful because a lot of users do skim through to find exactly what they're looking for. And when you go after longer pieces, like we write 2000 and more words uh, type of pieces. And, and it's really hard to uh, for most people to just read the entire piece. And a lot of the time they want to skim through and find, you know, get to exactly the part they're looking for. And uh, we, we try to do that a lot. There's also a few other techniques that, you know, we rely on. And one of them is, uh, and actually one of my favorites is uh, skyscraper technique. I'm, I'm sure you've heard of it. Is, uh, you know, Brian Dean from uh, Backlinko. Basically, when you see, uh, we you have a particular keyword, let's say, someone listing Slack alternatives or uh, any keyword that is extremely competitive. You know, the, we find a website like Captera or, you know, any of our competitors putting, here are the top 11 Slack alternatives. What we do is that we, you know, we go and write, here's the 50 uh, <laughs> Slack alternatives. Uh, and uh, we rank higher right away because you, you just, you're not only more useful, but you're also more thorough and time spent on pages higher and you give, you know, you didn't, users don't have to go out there and, you know, search for more options. You just give them all the options in one place. And, and that works very well for us. 
There are among other techniques. It keeps them, keeps them uh, captive, right? Keeps exactly. them captive. So you get more time, more, more eyeballs. That's what we like. That's what we like. <laughs> Excellent. So is there an example or, or a story you can share of a piece of content that uh, you guys have produced that, that you know, generated specific results that you're very proud of? Uh, well, we have, uh, you know, I'm going to talk about maybe a bottom funnel piece because it's, you know, it's content. It's not always about traffic. It's, it's, you know, it's most importantly about bottom line and how it really impacted our funnel. So, uh, bottom funnel pieces, we have a simple piece called, uh, how to choose a project management software. Uh, again, it's not like there's nothing super special about this piece except for, that project management space is extremely complex. And as, you know, a marketing operations director or, you know, director of marketing, where a lot of the decisions of project management is actually made at that level, it's really hard to see all these options and you don't really know what is the right solution for your team. So you come to a website and, you know, you always see, you know, request a demo or uh, get a trial and you go out there and you try to evaluate uh, what's going to work best for you. But sometimes you need guidance. And we found from our side as marketers, this piece reveals intent. Uh, you may not give me the request demo form, but now I know that you're a market for a project management software. So when you come to my website and you know uh, come to one of the product pages, uh, you will be retargeted across you know Facebook, LinkedIn, and Google with a piece called "How to Choose a Project Management Software." You know now maybe you came to my website and you weren't really convinced with uh, the content I had there. Uh, now I'm going to get a second chance at convincing you. Uh, not not that alone. I'm also going to guide you through the process. Even when you choose another software and people churn a lot, they're going to come back to us because we help them. We were part of, of, of the process and really help them guide them to the right software. And it's been really, uh, you know, we've only had this piece for about three months and it's actually been very uh, effective. We've gotten a lot of conversions and a lot of opportunities in the pipeline and and we'll continue to do so. Excellent. Excellent. So, okay. So we've talked SEO and content, but in order to, you know, make it all effective, there's the, the sales and marketing automation component of it. You know, you had mentioned uh, before the show that you guys have recently gone through a complete marketing and sales automation overhaul. I'm kind of curious, you know, what made you feel that that was a necessary step that was going to drive the type of benefits uh, and revenue bottom line for the business that you were looking for? This is a great question because it's a lot of the time, you know, marketers come to a new company and they want to redesign the website, they <laughs> get a new marketing automation software. And I hate to be in that category, but we, we definitely had our own reasons why we had to do this. And, uh, you know, a few of them is, you know, we had, I had a lot of manual processes, you know, basic SDR sequence that could have been done with just, you know, a click. Now it has to be done with, you know, multiple processes and, and we don't have much reporting on it. Uh, there's a lot of uh, reporting functions that, you know, reporting areas of the, you know, we used Zoho at the time and, and it wasn't, it's, it's very powerful in certain areas, but, you know, again, it's a really clunky tool. You know, that's, that's my view on it. It's very helpful in terms of uh, data structure and relevancy between data. It's actually really powerful in that regard. But again, the UI is, is not uh, ideal and maybe because it's too powerful. So our teams were really complaining about, you know, the user experience there. We had also lack of behavioral insight. It, it lacked the marketing automation component. And we couldn't find the, a good marketing automation system that syncs well with, with Zoho. So these were all reasons why we decided to uh, uh, rethink what we're doing in terms of marketing and sales automation. Okay, so you have, you know, obviously have to go through the evaluation process. I remember the last time I worked my damnedest to try and replace Salesforce. I looked at everything <laughs> that was out there, right? Yeah. So we have a lot of listeners who struggle with that 
tech landscape. So I'd love to understand, you know, kind of what your final configuration looks like, if you don't mind sharing that and, and why you made the choices you made. Uh, well, it, it's extremely hard decision. I think marketing, marketing automation and sales automation is one of the hardest softwares to buy. And I think one of the mistakes that I made personally uh, in the past and, and a lot of marketers make is that they go to a software, they say, with more of a, a feature shopping list, more than uh, really identifying the needs. So I feel like uh, what we what we did is that I, I worked in a blueprint more or less or of what are the exact pains that we have? What are our goals and how we want to bridge them with a tool that help us achieve these goals? And we wrote these down and, and we prioritize them because you're not going to find the perfect tool that solves everything out there. I've, I've, used, I've used, you know, in terms of the marketing automation side, I've used Marketo, HubSpot, uh, Pardot, and a few other softwares and in, in the CRM side, Salesforce and Pipedrive and, you know, even Microsoft Dynamics. <laughs> so it, <laughs> it was really like every every software has its own shortcomings and it has its own, uh, you know, strength. And you need to make sure that you 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 pick the software that aligns best with your strategy and, and, and pains. So once you understand that, you need to, you can go out there and with your, your own feature list and, and, and talk to, uh, you know, salespeople. And be careful because salespeople would convince you with other things. Just be really clear <laughs> what, it, what exactly you're looking for and uh, what is needed to have or must have, um, what is nice to have. And don't confuse the two. Nice to have is very different than needed and must have. Yeah. When I was running large sales teams, I, you know, I'd have the Salesforce rep would come in because I was very vocal about my distaste for Salesforce. Uh, and this was a little bit before the lightning interface came up. And I would listen to the Salesforce rep and I'd be like, now, are we talking about the same software? Because it just really does not. I don't know what you're talking about, but that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. So sales reps, you know, they, they drink the Kool-Aid. They love their products. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's what makes him good. You know, if he can convince you otherwise, that means he's really good at his job and you're probably bad if you're convinced because you need to know exactly what you're looking for and uh, you need to find the perfect alignment. You know, honestly, this is something that my, uh, you know, CEO and I, Rick, we, we, we talk a lot about this. Marketing automation as a term is really a made up term. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's great marketing. To, to, to say marketing automation or even sales automation. Like the, the way we had, we broke it down was like, you know, you have the landing page uh, building tool, CMS, uh, with a form and, and lead routing component. You know, our landing page is word, uh, landing page building or our website is, is built on WordPress. So a lot of the time people don't need that landing page component, uh, which HubSpot and, and Marketo offer. And you need the forms again and lead routing component to sit on top of that to help you, you know, capture forms and, and route it. Uh, then you have the email marketing uh, tool component with, you know, list management and workflows, ability to run drips. So that's really the marketing automation part. And then you have the CRM part, which, you know, you need the system of records for all clients and prospects activities. Uh, and then you have the SDR tools, which sits on top of CRM, where, you know, it, it really automates the reach out and conversations, meeting bookings, reporting, etc. And then on top of all of that, you need a reporting engine. Uh, and this is how we really like went out there and we started looking for tools because, you know, you have, you know, email marketing tool, for example, you have a really good tool out there. Drip, uh, you know, is a really cool, but it's really specific, uh, you know, just in the email marketing components. And these tools don't need to have the perfect integration. The only integration that you need to have is make sure that data is consistently flowing from one system to another and you have a good structure of data. So you have a solid reporting engine and you get consistent data at the end. That's, well, that's, that could even be a challenge, right? I mean, it is that, that, that's that, a big challenge. 
the data consistency alone. I mean, that's, that's, I've lost sleep over that uh, for our business. I mean, that's <laughs> so, pain in my so, ass. Yeah. We just, you know, we're, we're a month and a half into uh, implementing HubSpot. So that's, that's, that's where exactly I'm at. <laughs> So that's interesting. So we, we use HubSpot as well, but interestingly enough, we don't use the marketing side of it yet. We use the sales side of it. Again, I, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but when, uh, when we started to expand value prime, I refused to implement Salesforce. And what I find interesting about HubSpot's sales side, uh, is it blurs this line between that, that type of system of record, like the CRM that you're used to. And it, it's got just enough of kind of a system of action for a sales rep. You know, I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to get you to buy the marketing stuff because it's a hell of a lot more expensive. But it's an interesting hybrid feature set, uh, limited feature set that they've put together. I'm I'm curious, are you using the whole thing or just the marketing side? Are you using the sales side at all? Uh, We're actually using the whole thing. The only component we're not using is the COS, is the the content management system. Our blog is really hosted on WordPress and we don't need much landing pages built on HubSpot. But we use the whole thing, and and I find the the, the sales pro component really powerful. It is, yeah, I agree. I think maybe the CRM component is not as mature, but the the paid, which is why maybe it's free. The CRM part, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, but, but but you know, like the the Gmail integration is super seamless and and very helpful, and and I'm sure you have your templates built up on on you know Gmail, and and, and that integration with Gmail is just amazing. And they, is, yeah. I think they they acquired Sidekick. Uh, I think two or three years ago. And it was an amazing acquisition at their end. Yeah. The email that I sent you before, uh, the podcast that you mentioned is a HubSpot template. <laughs> did you get that email when it opened it? You yeah, it I did. I, I got, I got the notification. It popped up. My, I said, Oh, he's looking at it right now. So I'll, I'll know. be prepared. <laughs> now, you know, I was late on the responding. Oh, it's all good. all good. So when you, when you look across that, that stack of tools, is there one that your team, you know, has, has just kind of fallen in love with and they can't live without now? One that's maybe provided them either more efficiencies or more impact than another? Well, in general, like in, in the marketing space or all the tools that we're using or specifically to the automation piece? Any, any and all of the above. I'm just kind of curious. It's always, you know, I've, I've spent 10 years doing user experience design and selling those types of services. So for me, uh, as a user, that, that user experience, that interface is, is huge. So I have a tendency to find myself using those more rigorously than other things, right? So I'm just kind of curious how your team has responded. Maybe it's to the HubSpot marketing side or there are other tools, you know, that they just rave about and are extremely excited to to have in the arsenal. Well, I, I can be really biased here. And, and, <laughs> and say works out? <laughs> really, yeah. No, for, for, I'm going to talk about the sales and marketing automation in a second, but I, I'm a remote employee and most of my team is remote. And uh, we, you know, we rely a lot on, a, on, on our tool work zone to, you know, keep everything on sync. It's, we don't have, uh, the luxury to, you know, walk into each other's offices and, and chat about things. And, you know, we do have, we use Slack on top of work zone and, you know, uh, we need a, uh, to have the ability to manage our content marketing. We have also a lot of, uh, freelancers that we work with. So being remote, we have to, re- we have to rely on a project management software and, you know, being a project management software company, which I am doing, which is really good with that part. But you know, in the sales and marketing automation side, now that we implemented HubSpot, we we do find it uh, you know essential to you know our day to day activities, and the team is super excited about it. 
And, you know, like the, the I, I spent, I would say, you know, uh, uh, 40% of my day on HubSpot. And um, I can imagine for salespeople, they're probably spending 80 or 90% of their day, <laughs> if not all. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think HubSpot would be that tool again, uh, of course, aside from work zone, but I'm biased here. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm, I'm biased too, but I do. I spend a, a lot of my time in, in HubSpot. Honestly, I think part of it's probably, even though the Gmail integration is so great, I think I spend a lot of time there because the user interface is better than Gmail's. <laughs> so it's just, yeah, well, it's I totally agree with that. <laughs> Excellent. So let's pivot here a little bit and talk a little bit more about, uh, work zone. So you mentioned the, you know, significant growth targets. And so I'm, I'm curious, what's, uh, is revenue, you know, top line revenue? Are we looking at margins? What's the current business objective? For, for work zone, how are you and your team working to you know, make sure that those are achieved? Uh, so we're a privately held uh, company, so we keep some of these numbers a little closer to ourselves. Sure. You know, we're, we're not a VC-backed uh, company, and we're not really going after every user out there. Uh, we're going after revenue, and as I, as I mentioned, we have a 35% uh, goal this year, and then uh, working with uh, closely with the sales organization to make that happen. You know, we're in terms of uh, you know what part of the market we're going after really trying to, you know, where our software is ideal for five users and above, maybe like for a, like mid to large organizations. Uh, we're really like, you know, you have the project management space, you have, uh, uh, you know, Asana, Basecamp, uh, and a lot of lightweight Trello, a lot of light lightweight tools. And, and then you have Microsoft Project, which is <laughs> super clunky. And, and, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's powerful, but it's super clunky. And, you know, uh, you, you need to see how, how PM feels when, when they make the move from, you know, Microsoft projects to our software. They're like super happy, you know, and, and yeah, our software kind of fits in the middle. And we try to say that, you know, we're powerful yet easy to use and adopt. And that's really our positioning. And this is where we fit. And that's where I think we're going to achieve the 35% uh, growth this year. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. So you've, you've overhauled the marketing automation stuff and, and gotten that challenge out of the way. So what are there, you know, right now, what are those top of mind challenges, you know, for your marketing efforts and your team that you're looking to resolve? I think the biggest challenge, uh, not just net, like now and ever is hiring. Uh, we're trying to grow the team and, and just, you know, having bandwidth for hiring and firing good talents is always a challenge. You know, we're, we made some good progress there, but it, it will continue to be the challenge for, for this year as we build the team. And another challenge is, is really like, you know, as you implement a new tool, um, there's a lot of adoption issues and a lot of, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, just hab- habits are ingrained in people's head. And we need to make sure that we change those habits to uh, something more, uh, positive and sustainable around the tool we use. And, and I think honestly, like, you know, uh, our team have been doing great at that. And, and part of it is that HubSpot is an easy to use tool and maybe it's not so powerful at certain areas, but I think ease of use uh, does solve that part of adoption. Uh, so I, I would say these are the two biggest challenges. Uh, the third one, and, and, you know, I think uh, uh, many people at the company would agree with that is that we, we did achieve some amazing results in, in terms of uh, traffic. As I mentioned, we have, uh, you know, more than doubled our traffic this year in just six months. But we need to see the results in terms of conversions. We, we've had, again, as I mentioned, we have a lot of content-driven, uh, you know, uh, opportunities and, and, and marketing qualified leads in the pipeline. Uh, but we need to invest more into that. And, and, and the challenge is really like now that I have you on my blog, how can I convert you into a qualified lead? Uh, and, that, and that remains to be a challenge. But again, we're uh, you know, even like as I speak to you, we just had a, a pop up that we launched on a few of our pages and I can see the lead coming through that. So 
we're making some progress there. And, and I think in Q2 and Q3, we're gonna, uh, Q3 and Q4, we're going to have some good numbers there. Excellent. Excellent. So when you look at the market today and, and what's coming next, right? And then trends, uh, some people don't like the word trends, but I, everything's constantly, I don't want to say changing because it's probably more like evolving. It's probably a better way to say it. But when you look at the future, say the next, 12, 18, 24 months uh, for, you know, just changes in the marketing space in general. Are there things that you're extremely excited about or looking to, looking forward to see how they play out? I have my own, like, you know, things that I like to read on AI, machine learning, <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to try to be more realistic. I'm doing it back. <laughs> uh, so, you know, like, uh, I'll, I'll talk about maybe a little bit about automation and productive marketing. I think there's a lot to be done there. I think it's really stupid that in 2017, we still have to use forms uh, with all what we know about people out there. It's really, I think uh, there's a lot of solutions out there for that already, but I think we can capture a lot more leads if we really get over that form and wall that we put and we find better ways to qualify leads. And, and I'm really interested in that space. I think also, even though we, we tend to say, you know, that is important and marketers talk about, you know, data driven campaigns and all of that. I don't think we we're, we're there yet in terms of data or data a lot of the time has, it's not really statistically significant and does, it has a lot of holes on it and it's really biased and it's not read well and uh, not visualized well. So I feel like there's a lot to be done in terms of data. And, and as you mentioned earlier, we're talking about CRM and, and, and implementation of marketing automation. Data consistency is, is a really, really big issue. And with all these, you know, softwares and tools out there, I personally use like 15 tools and, and, and I want to make sure that there is like some consistency, consistency in terms of data. And now we add on top of all of that attribution and, and what type of touch really made the impact and, and all of that, you, it becomes a lot more complicated. And, and I feel like attribution and really analytics is going to be also, and will continue to be because it's really been a, a trend. It will continue to be the trend for, for the next few years. Excellent. Excellent. So let's, let's change direction here a little bit. I ask all of our guests kind of two standard questions towards the end of each interview. The first is simply, you know, as, as a VP of marketing for a, for a SaaS company, as a revenue executive, that makes you a prospect for sales professionals, for people out there that want to sell you something or, or, you know, get into a partnership in some way. So I would love to understand, you know, in that role, what is it that sales professionals or even other marketing campaigns do that capture your intention and in, inspire you to engage? Uh, that's a good one. Let me think for a second. I, I think uh, I actually was working on the sequence and playbook for us. So this is a perfect time. To end. <laughs> I think uh, what really captures my, my attention as a marketer, and I think marketers are one of the hottest prospects out there. We buy more softwares than anyone. <laughs> right. A custom message uh, that tells me like, you know my problem and you've actually looked at my company and you have a solution for me that I, is worth looking at or even having the conversation with you. Uh, that is really, really effective and gets my attention. <laughs> maybe I respond to point, maybe I don't, but it does get my attention. <laughs> I think uh, also like always emphasizing who you play with and, you know, the adding that credibility factor. So other really, companies that you've worked with in the past. Never. Yeah, that, that are similar because, you know, as a marketer, they always have my eyes on my competition and everyone does. And if you told me that, you know, you did this with my competition and it, it actually did well, you got my attention at least, you know, for 10 or 15. <laughs> and, and, and I think don't be annoying. I would say that that's really the second advice, like the third advice is that a lot, I find a lot of SDRs and, and, and sales reps have this like nine touches cadence, super aggressive it's not, you know, maybe it works on one or two people out of, you know, uh, a million or a thousand. I don't know. Like if, if it works for you, good. 
but it really annoys me and it, makes, <laughs> it, it builds this like uh, wall between me and your me me and your brain. Maybe someday I'll be interested, but it's you know I will not I will not reach out to you if I am. Uh, if, if, if you really like, didn't, you know, respect my inbox and, and my time and, and my phone and, uh, just, you know, like I would say user centric reach out or, or really putting your user or prospect in mind uh, before you build that playbook or sequence is, is really important. Yeah. We, we spend a lot of time with clients uh, when we train them talking about the concept of respectful persistence, right? So, so you can build your cadences, you know, however long they need to be, but don't specifically don't be annoying. I had a rep tell me the other day that he created this sequence that he had nicknamed the crazy ex-girlfriend. And, uh, and, and essentially, it's, you know, it's great. I, and it's a great title and I get the concept, but essentially what it's doing is it's, it's designed to increase anxiety and the sense of, of urgency over the course of two to three weeks. But as I looked at it and kind of reviewed it, I was like, yeah, if you were using that on me, I would, I would shut that down really fast just because it would get annoying. So that oh, it's funny, but annoying. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. funny. <laughs> it, it probably would be funnier if you told me, just sent me an email. Hey, I'm about to put you into a cadence called the crazy ex-girlfriend. Would you like to talk before it begins? Right. That might be actually a, 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 <laughs> <It's> a good <laughs> spin. <laughs> that might be another way to do it. Excellent. Okay. So personalization, of course, and then, you know, being respectful, um, two extremely important aspects for you. So appreciate that. Now let's talk about the last question. We call it our acceleration insight. And so what we're looking for here is if there's one thing you could tell sales, marketing, or professional services people, one piece of advice you could give them that you believe would help them beat their targets, uh, what would it be and why? Uh, that's an, another really good question. Uh, well, I, I think the most important thing, and, and, and I say that because I was not good at it uh, back in the day and I continue to try to improve that part. Your understanding of prospects is really, and your persona and target audience is, it's really equals your success at communicating with them. Uh, and, and definitely equals the success of, of having an effective marketing or sales campaign. So a lot of people think that the, the pretty chart that they have on, on who these people are or a few Googling here and there is really going to tell you uh, enough about this persona. Uh, but think about it you know, from your perspective, do you think uh, a pretty chart is going to answer, you know, what Mustafa thinking about and what is, what are his pains or just a quick Googling is going to do that? No, it's like you need a really thorough quantitative and qualitative persona analysis or research. And most importantly, you need to talk to me and, and, and know my pains and problems and develop a piece of content that answers that, uh, you know, develop a cadence that is around this. And so I feel like this is really important. And, and, and I would say the the, the most important thing that I used to struggle with and I think is, is extremely important. And when I made some improvements there, I have seen the impact it can make on, you know, conversion rate, it can make on overall messaging and positioning of a brand and, and, and just, you know, effectiveness of marketing and sales. It, it's interesting. Um, you know, back when I was doing design stuff, we always talked about user personas or customer personas. And, and I remember, um, the first time I saw the difference between what's actually a buyer persona and a customer persona or user persona, uh, they're drastically different, right? And, and they, they require conversations with people in that role. You can't just read a bunch of stuff because you end up with a lot of assumptions and that's dangerous. So really Absolutely. making sure you understand people. That's a, that's a great point. An excellent point. 
Excellent. Well, hey, guys, that does it for today's show. I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, please check us out at the www.b2brevexec.com. Please share the episode with friends, families, coworkers. Make them sit down and listen to it. More importantly, make them write a review on iTunes because it is so valuable to us. We will thank you in advance. Mustafa, I can't thank you enough for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Excellent. Again, thank you everyone for listening. And Mustafa, thank you again for these invaluable insights. And until next time, we at Value Prime Solutions wish you and your team nothing but the greatest success. Thanks, John. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.